On today's episode, I spoke with Kristen Tinsky about content marketing, PR, and the future of AI. Kristen is the co-founder of Fractal, which helps brands create content and earn press from top-tier news publications. So let's dive right into this episode. PR is definitely something where I'm not as well-versed, would love to know more um, from somebody that, that really knows it. How, in your opinion, has the PR world changed within the past, let's say, five years? You need to something entirely new and newsworthy, not just opinion or a rehash of some existing information. It has to be something that the journalists can look at and say, "Okay, this is this is something new that I can bring my audience. This isn't like a me too piece of information. This is a, a entirely original sort of thing." So. I think we've gone from an era where you could pitch, like, say, an infographic and maybe get pressed for it to an era where you need essentially data journalism in order to really earn press. So to be able to tell a story that presents new and new, new and newsworthy information that's generally supported by some sort of empirical evidence. So the methodology of the data journalism story can vary to a huge degree, but um, it has to present something entirely new. And, and within those past five years, obviously the, the big advent is AI through basically everything, uh, especially marketing. What impact did you see in AI having on PR, especially when you're talking about creating something valuable, creating something that's high quality? Um, what are the pros and cons of AI in that? I, I think AI has a lot of intersections and applications in, in PR. It tends sort of a which side of the PR equation you're on as a journalist. Uh, certainly, there are many applications for data journalism. So from data acquisition to data cleaning to data analysis, um, I mean, things like, like GPT force code interpreter are absolute game changers for doing any sort of data analysis work. It's like having a, you know, like a graduate level assistant who can examine your data set uh, clean it in a detailed way, uh, do all of the sorts of data explorations that you might want to do to find what's interesting in your data set, do statistical testing and analysis to make sure that what you think you found is actually what you found. Um, so certainly there, there are a huge number of applications. And in fact, I think it's going to fundamentally transform the way that journalism is done and bring it more from sort of reporting on things that happened to an investigative data journalism style approach that's much more common than currently is today. Um, and then I think we're going to see brands doing a lot more of that too, just simply because that's, that's sort of what uh, the journalists are looking for, you know, that new and newsworthy information. And because it's becoming so much more approachable, accessible to do that sort of work with the help of AI, um, we're going to see a lot more people attempting to do it and, and actually doing it really well. Um, I think also there are many AI applications in, in sort of like the, the specific processes of doing outreach in PR. So from automating email writing um, to understanding the journalists themselves, who they are, what they write about, what they're likely to want to write as a story, um, what they've written about before, all of these aspects of, that used to require 
manual research to sort of understand who the journalist was and how you might be able to increase your chances of breaking through the noise of their inbox and delivering them a story that they're actually likely to want to write about. Uh, it can all be automated to partially uh, or fully, essentially. So yeah, those two sides, really. The data journalism side, and then also improving the ability to do accurate and high quality pitching at scale, because you can, if you've developed one automation approach for PR, you can scale it pretty easily now with AI. Definitely. Um, so like that, we looked at the past a little bit, looking forward, now that you're talking through automations that might help or um, expedite things, help us scale a little bit, there's there pros and cons to AI, obviously, but given everything that's changing now, what do you think the next five to 10 years looks like in PR? Do you think that we're going to still be creating the same types of things or do you think it looks differently altogether? I mean, it's it's hard to say how far AI is going to progress in the next 10 years. I, I mean, if we're looking at the pace of progress over the last two years uh, and thinking about it in sort of like an exponential improvement sort of way, I think it's really hard to be predictive five, 10 years down the line. Um, I do think we're going to see increasingly capable AI models. I think we're also going to see increasingly capable architectures and things like um, fully autonomous agent-like AIs that do more than just prompt and response, but can be given specific goals and then take a number of uh, discrete steps towards those goals that are sort of self-directed. Um, so I think you're, you'll probably see over the next couple of years improvements in automations for being able to do outreach well. And I think that will overall increase the number of pitches that are being sent to journalists. Um, I think the quality of the pitches are going to increase and the quality of the content being pitched is going to increase. So in some senses for journalists, it will be a good thing, but they'll also have to contend with the increased volume. Um, I think like any other sort of two-sided marketplace, you'll, you will see maybe an arms race of sorts where you have PRs and people who are pitching content to journalists, uh, having maybe an, an even more difficult time breaking through the in, into the inboxes and getting the attention of journalists because there will be other AIs that will be improving the ability to filter out email and filter out uh, content and things sent to journalists that they wouldn't be interested in based on, you know, those AI models understanding of what those journalists think about, talk about, like interact with in their own email inboxes. So um, I don't know if we'll ever get to like a, fully automated approach to PR where AI is making both the pitching decisions and the, you know, the journalistic decisions of what stories get written. I doubt that. I think there'll always still be a human element to deciding what stories are important. Um, but I think the the back and forth and the filtering will be automated to a large extent. And um, I think over, overall it will be a good thing. I think journalists will have access to more stories, better stories, and those of us pitching stories will have the tools to to really investigate and find new things that previously weren't possible to find because of the ubiquity of data and because of the the advantages that these new models and automations provide in being able to investigate data and tell tell data driven stories in compelling ways. When you look at your your efforts in PR, content marketing, wherever, anywhere across what you're doing in marketing specifically, 
what are what are those areas or those tasks that you still don't necessarily trust AI to do just yet? You don't feel like the technology is quite there yet. Um. So I think there always needs to be human sending an email, right? I I wouldn't ever recommend a company take like a fully automated approach to PR where you're giving the AI, uh, you know, carte blanche to decide who to pitch to, how it's being pitched, the email being written, and so on. I, I think good PR is about relationship building. And in a fully automated approach, I think that's that's hard to do. Um also, these models are still prone to confabulation to a certain extent. So you don't, you, there are dangers in, in PR pitching and doing it improperly. Um, you can certainly ruin a reputation or hurt a client's reputation or make a journalist mad and ruin a relationship with them so that they block you and you have no opportunity to pitch them in the future. So I think it's important that, that humans always are the last layer and saying, okay, this, this email is good to go. Um, I'm confident that what I'm pitching matches the journalists, what they're looking for, what they write about, uh, that what's being pitched is being pitched in as compelling possible as way as it as you can. Um, but I think the the AI based automations will get you like ninety ninety five percent of the way there, and the human will more last be just a final checkpoint. Yeah, and and looking through, kind of, I want to I want to chat through kind of the evolution of content marketing from your perspective as well. So I think you've you've been in the game for for a while now, and you've seen kind of a an evolution of where things are at now versus where they might have been a decade ago or or however long. When when you first started in content marketing, what were kind of the challenges that you remember companies having around content at that time, and how is that different from what you usually experience now? Uh, so I mean, we're looking back maybe like twelve. 13 years now at this point. So, you know, at the very beginning stages, companies were really just starting to realize that they needed to have uh, an online presence that was delivering value to potential customers. Um, I think in the beginning, there was a lot of educating that we had to do with clients around the value of content marketing, um, the value of earning press, the value of the links that you get when you earn press the implications on SEO that you see as a result of earning press, the brand implications and so on. Um, so that has sort of gone away. I think all, or at least most, nearly all companies understand the value of content marketing and the value of creating uh, interesting stories and earning press and earning links, the SEO implications there. Um, but what's, what's really changed is the type of content that's being created. So. 10 years ago, it was more than enough to just take existing information and remix into a new, more visually appealing format. Um, that isn't the case anymore. You, you can't really just take what exists online and say, you know, I found this cool thing, journalists, please write about it. Uh, if it's something they could have found through Google or other means, it, it's not something they're likely to want to write about. So as I said earlier, the the change really has been what can you earn, what things can earn you press. So what stories can earn you press? And what we found at Fractal is that the only predictable way to do it is to be able to create the stories from scratch yourself using some type of authoritative data source. Um, and occasionally that can be things like an, an individual expert or a handful of experts. 
but more often than not, it's a larger data set, like a, a compiled survey, um, some sort of analysis of, of an existing data set, perhaps mashups of multiple data sets, um, social media data scrapes, really trying to find something that hasn't been fully explored yet and find the hidden stories within that data to be able to tell something entirely new. So the progression towards that has been sort of a demand for increasing value and increasing depth in the story that's being pitched. And I think with the advent of these new automations and new AI tools, I think that there's going to be an, an ever-increasing demand for sophistication and, and the sorts of stories that are being told. Do any examples pop up to your mind of, of clients you've worked with or things that you've even done that you felt like were particularly really valuable and unique and you did have that unique data coming in? Do you have any, any stories or examples of those? Um, yeah, I mean, so I can tell probably my favorite story is a personal side project that I was working on that sort of had an interesting outcome. So I live in Palm Beach County, Florida, and um, I realized that there, this is actually true of almost every county. So there are open police data sets where you can get like traffic stop information, arrest information, um, and then a ton of metadata around what happened at that traffic stop, the demographics of the person who was stopped or arrested, the information about the cops and the police departments and so on. Um, and this is sort of hard to get data, right? So they, these are government-run data portals that are clunky and not very easy to get large amounts of data from. But we wrote a scraper to essentially get all of the data for my particular county out of it because we thought it would be really interesting to take a look at, uh, you know, from a, like a data journalism perspective, what's going on in our county from a policing standpoint. And so we did this project, just sort of exploring it, and was hosted on one of our Fractal's own websites. Um, and we found some interesting things in the data, some anomalies and inconsistencies in policing and some weird associations with like traffic stuff and arrest information related to race and, and uh, location and a few other things. And so that, that story ended up doing quite well. It got some press and then popped off on Reddit in a few different places. And this was during um, the, the whole George Floyd situation. And there were a lot of people who were sort of feeling like they wanted to do something and participate in improving the relationship between police and, and local populations and uh, especially the African-American community. So, and I was feeling that way too. It, it was sort of a frustrating moment in time. And so the idea essentially from my end was that if you can do this for one county, you should be able to do it for all counties. And if it were possible to sort of police the police with their own data, maybe it could lead to a more equitable situation, better oversight and um, more accountability. So uh, after it sort of was going viral on, on Reddit, I decided to start a Slack community around the idea that if this could be done for every uh, county, then it could perhaps make some real change. And uh, it got a lot of people excited and it sort of snowballed on its own from there and became uh, a nonprofit over the, the following six months. And now it's just a nonprofit that continues to exist and work toward that, that solution. 
And so it's just sort of all based on this idea that there was an interesting data set that existed that was not so easy to get at, that if it were accessible, I could perhaps lead to a greater change. And so the nonprofit got uh, $250,000 in funding a year after two years ago, and it just sort of continues to work for that mission. Um, and I'm, I'm not, I don't participate in the day-to-day -day running of it um, anymore, but it was, it was sort of based on some of the early work that I did with that idea. Wow. Yeah, that's, well, that's incredibly impressive. Um, it, and if you're looking at things like that within really deep niches that maybe there's not as much data or the audience is smaller, how would you approach things differently with, with that in mind? Like maybe you're talking with maybe a more technical audience or it's, it's much more niche to the point where your audience is small. How would that change how you think about the type of content you would create? I mean, I, we are creating content. You always need to keep in mind your target audience. And then if you're trying to earn press with it, what the journalists care about in that segment, right? So what sorts of story do they write about? What are they interested in? If you're in a very technical niche, um, it's certainly harder. But I think that there are ways to make it feel more human and make it feel um, more newsworthy. Right? So, so the goal is always to sort of start expanding the topic area to make it more general um not to the extent that it feels divorced from the, the topic of the client or or whoever it is creating it what their niche is but how do you find the more generalizable approachable aspect of that niche idea that can be expanded that has actual data sets around it that would be more interesting to more general audiences so, I mean, to the extent that you can do that really depends on the company trying to do it. Uh, in some cases, you'll you'll never really be able to create a, a more general interest story out of a highly niche topic. And the goal really shouldn't be to do that. It should be to write for the audience and create something that's really interesting to those people in that niche. Um, so, yeah, I mean, at Fractal, we're always trying to look for the more generally interesting, emotionally compelling aspects of any particular content area but we sort of take like a concentric circle approach where you're fanning out trying that and then going further out and further out until you sort of reached a point where you think you found like a happy medium between specific enough for the niche that it makes sense for for that particular brand to be telling that story but broadly interesting enough that you have uh, a large enough sphere of potential pitch targets um that you're not restricting yourself too far to make it sort of, you know, unapproachable to actually earn press where you only have one or two or three pitchable targets. When we're creating content, we're also always looking for all of the different pitchable angles that we can. And so at Fractal, we have a really tight integration between our PR team and our creative team where there's an internal feedback loop where as our creatives or our data journalists are creating content, they're also talking to uh, the people who will be pitching it and PRs are giving feedback on, okay, here's what you found in the data so far. Here's, here are some ways that we think we could um, take a slightly different angle on it or explore a different aspect of the data that would help us expand the sphere of potential pitch targets. So it, it's sort of an iterative process and it, it highly depends on the vertical or niche that you're talking about. Last one here, and then, and then we'll sign off. Looking at the, the content marketing landscape in particular as you zoom out that um 
what are the hills that you're willing to die on or the hot takes or things that other people believe to be true that you don't or vice versa? Oh my God. Um, that's, a, that's such a hard question. I, I think, I think there's a sentiment that AI generated content is necessarily poor content or bad content or necessarily negative for, for Google. But I, I don't think it's clear that Google is currently can or in the future ever will be able to accurately identify what's AI written and what's not. Um, the models that exist currently are, you know, only 80, 90% accurate and are not, have a lot of false positives, have a lot of false negatives. I think unless you get to a, a really high level of accuracy, which I think will be impossible for short form content maybe possible across large amounts of content. Um, you're never going to get a situation where Google is going to make like, you know, incredibly severe restrictions on AI generated content. I think AI generated content is going to be a massive part of the future of online content and search engines and, and other technologies that help us parse all of the content that exists out there. Um, will have to embrace it to different degrees. So. Yeah, I, th I think the future of, of content is going to be AI-driven. Um, I think it's still an open question on exactly how well it will be handled. I think that there, there's this idea of, um, it's called the dead internet theory, uh, which is essentially this idea that because AI is becoming so capable at producing content, will in, at some point in the, maybe the near future be faced with this massive glut of information that is too difficult to really parse well and it will be increasingly difficult for people to find real and trustworthy information so i don't i don't know how those two things play out together i mean my hope is that the ai continues to help us to create content but also enables us to filter that content in better ways um i think there always will need to be a, a human element to it Awesome. I'm, I'm going to stop.